I have gray hair that I've earned every single one of them. And I am old enough to remember, and there are going to be some folks in here who may also remember the beginning days of Marvel Comics. Anybody else remember some of those first? Uh, yeah, I, I see a couple nodding. Believe it or not, I was around for the first Spider-Man comic book. I never had a copy of it. If I did, I would be a wealthy man right now. Um, but I remember Spider-Man, and then when Hulk was introduced, and then the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, and Captain America, and Iron Man. I remember all of that. And some of the Marvel greats that have not made it to the cinema, uh, Rawhide Kid, and Two-Gun Kid, uh, and the Kid Colt. They were superstars. They were uh, like uh, the Westerns, they were not superheroes, but they were endowed with incredible levels of bravery and courage and, and their ability to take out uh, all of the enemies and obstacles. And I remember distinctly uh, the first time I saw the word gulp or that I recognized it and remember it. When one of these superheroes was facing a, a foe and there were all manner of evil. And this crosses over to Superman and Batman and Green Lantern and, and all of those that I've, I've devoured as well. Whenever there was a foe on the horizon that they had to face, and it might not have been the superheroes, it may have been just some of the regular people, it was common to see the artist's portrayal of a face that is terrified. And you know the little bubble that comes off to the side and just one word in parentheses, gulp. And it was like, <clears throat> and they knew that they were about to face a terror that was far more than they had anticipated. And they wondered if they were able, they were going to be able to overcome that obstacle, that opponent, uh, that evil that was being forced upon. Uh, the society, and they had to face the fact that if they did not stand up against this evil foe, then the foe would take over the world and all would be lost. And so there was this point of reckoning that was summarized in that simple word, gulp. Have you ever had a gulp moment where you were facing something on the horizon that when you realize the full significance of what you were facing, if you were standing up, you felt your knees get a little bit weak and your heart start to pound. And either figuratively or literally, you go, mm -hmm. I've had some of those days. I remember a situation where I was about to face someone who had taken up a, a position of, of opposition and animosity towards me, and I stood in the kitchen, and I felt my knees getting weak, and I had never felt that before. I've woken up at 2.30 in the morning with a sense of terror, saying, Lord, what are you doing? What's going to happen here? And those terrors may be related to uh, situations that you are know are going to happen, a situation at work. Uh, it may have to do with relationships. 
somebody who has voiced their opposition to you, and you know that they're out to get you, and you know you're going to have to deal with that. Uh, it may have to do with physical situations. The doctor has given you a report that you did not want to hear, and you're facing a foe, a physical foe, a disease that you don't know if you're going to handle it. Now, if you've never experienced any of that, then I invite you to check out right now because the rest of what we consider this morning won't apply. But if you ever have, or if you are at that point right now, you wonder if the finances are going to be there because something has come up that you did not anticipate. You wonder if your child is going to go this route that you have advised them against, but they are insistent upon going. You don't know if you're going to be able to keep your home and pay the mortgage. A situation has come up that has forced you into a situation where you have to face your fears. If you've experienced that or you are experiencing it now, I would like to introduce to you someone who has become a dear friend of mine. And his name is Joshua. And because of his account from these passages, we can be strong and courageous. And let me back up and give you a little background here first. Joshua was one of the superstars of the Bible. Uh, his situation, uh, he has been with Moses for the last 40 plus years. Moses is out of the scene now. God has taken him home. He's been given the assignment of taking the Israelites out of the wilderness wanderings into the land of Canaan and then to conquer the land of Canaan. Now, Joshua is not a lightweight by any means. He was there with Moses when Moses raised the rod and parted the Red Sea. He saw God in action. He saw God show up as that pillar of cloud and uh, smoke in the pillar of fire at night and protect the Israelites from the approaching Egyptians. He saw the Israelites go through the Red Sea, and he saw the Egyptian army uh, pursue them and God bring the seas crashing in. He saw Moses turn bitter water into drinkable water and saw Moses strike the rock and uh, the water come out. He saw God do miraculous things. Forty years earlier, he had gone in with uh, Caleb and the other ten spies and spied out the land. And he and Caleb alone said, we can do this because of God. We can do this. And then he was instrumental in two or three battles, a few battles, in the course of that 40 years. So he was no lightweight. But as he stood on the precipice of entering into the fulfillment of the completion of this 40 years, the reality of what he was facing hit him head on. And he had to come face to face with his fear. And God showed up and talks to him. And like, like I said, he's no lightweight. He's got a book of the Bible named after him. And you may think, well, uh, this is something that, that we shouldn't have to deal with. If Joshua had to deal with it, then it's a fair point that we may have to deal with fears in a biblical way. But God showed up 
and told him three times in these verses, six through nine, three times it is the exact command, be strong and courageous. Now, if you came to me and say, and the cops, the first responders, they call me Rev. Instead of Reverend Ravel, it's raw, 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 raw. They just say Rev. So if you came up to me and said, Rev, I'm really afraid of something. What do I do? If I just said be strong and courageous, you might say, well, thanks a lot. Okay, how? God gave Joshua three specific hooks to hang his fears on in these verses. With each command to be strong and courageous, he gives a basis for that strength and courage. The first one is in verse 6, and we read it before, but I'll read it for you aloud. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The first reason you can face your fears with confidence, the first way you can be strong and courageous in the Lord is because of the reality, the certainty, the real fact of God's plan. This was no whim that Joshua says, hey, why don't I take these three, four million people into a new land and conquer these people? Uh, yeah, they're seasoned warriors. They have done battle. They're bloodthirsty. They're cruel. Uh, they, they don't have any problem slaughtering people. And we're relatively inexperienced in that. But hey, we don't have anything else better to do. Why don't we move into the land and conquer the land? This was not something that just happened on the spur of the moment. This was the fulfillment of God's plan. Going all the way back to Abraham, where God said, I will make you into a great nation. And all this land that you see, this is going to be the land of your people. He reaffirmed that promise, that plan, with Isaac and then Jacob. And in the end of the book of Genesis with Joseph, and you know the whole story, and if you haven't, if you're not, I encourage you to read it. But after his brothers had sold him into slavery, and he becomes basically the, uh, the vice president of Egypt, and he has every reason to take vengeance. At the end of it, they come to him and say, our father before he died said, don't kill us. And there's no evidence that he said that, but that's their, their plan. And he says words that are absolutely essential for our facing our fears. He says, am I in the place of God? You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives. Ten years ago, after uh, Sandy Hook, a lot of the pastors in the area were called into a, uh, a luncheon uh, with uh, featured speaker Max Licato, author, pastor, uh, renowned. And we were, some of us were dealing with the uh, horrific aftermath of that. And he addressed this passage, and he made the point that the wording in this, you intended it for evil, the Hebrew word there is the idea of someone weaving. You were weaving, uh, Joseph's brothers, he's telling him, you were weaving your plan for evil, selling me into slavery to accomplish your evil uh, objectives. You were weaving your plan together for evil. Unbeknownst to you, God was weaving, it's the same word, Hebrew word, God was weaving your plan uh, your actions together to accomplish his plan, the saving of many lives. Reality is when we're in the middle of a situation, we can't see how God's plan is unfolding. Much like 
the thread in a tapestry. Uh, a tapestry piece of thread can't see the whole thing, but when you step back uh, away from the individual thread, you see the magnificent creation. And that's the imagery behind this idea. You intended it for evil. You were weaving your plans together for evil, but God was weaving it together for good, the saving of many lives. God has always had a plan, going back to Genesis 3, and as we'll see in a few moments, completing in Revelation. And God will accomplish his plan. Regardless of how daunting the scenario you face, no matter how terrifying it is to you, it cannot, it is impossible for your circumstances to fall outside the realm, the parameters of God's plan. You can be strong and courageous because God has a plan and he's working that plan out. And that plan is a good plan. And in the end, you will benefit in ways that you could never have imagined. So, when you're facing those fears, be strong and courageous because of God's plan. Secondly, because of God's precepts. Uh, Listen, or you can follow along if you want. Verses 7 and 8, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For, you, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The other way to say this is because of God's word. But I'm a Baptist preacher, and Baptist preachers are bound to the law of alliteration. And so you are not allowed to, uh, I've got three P's in a, in a pod here lining up, and so I had to come up with something. So precepts, you could say promises, but the reality is because of God's word. God has not given us assignments. He has not put us out there to face the darkness, to face the foes, to face the opposition apart from his guidance. He has given his word, and there are two aspects in this. The, he expects us to apply to God's word. First, we are to obey God's word. Now, admittedly, that concept of obedience is not very popular these days. It's not popular to tell children to obey because that's, that's kind of fallen off the socially accepted, culturally accepted. And to tell people to obey the law, that's, that makes people uncomfortable. But there is an expectation God did not give ten suggestions, did he? It's ten commandments. And there is the expectation that if God says don't do something, we shouldn't do it. And if God says do something, we should do it. Now, he is the creator, and so the creator has authority over creation. Again, authority is not a popular word these days. But the creator has authority over creation. And the the created item should submit to the creator. By the same token, he is the king over the universe, and all the subjects should submit to and obey the king. 
And if we have God's word and we choose not to obey it, destructive things happen. When God said, do not kill, someone disobeys that command and kills, there are catastrophic consequences. God says, do not cheat on your spouse, but someone cheats on their spouse, there are catastrophic consequences. Lying, stealing, uh, pride, arrogance. Any of these commands that God has given are for a reason. And part of our survival in the face of our fears and our terrors is obeying even if it doesn't make sense. You go through Hebrews 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, and all of these uh, heroes of faith obeyed God even sometimes when it didn't make sense. Uh, Noah in building an ark. Nobody knew what a flood was at the time. Nobody knew what a big boat was. But Noah obeyed him. Abraham obeyed God when he said, uh, go to a new land. Can you imagine the conversation uh, between Abraham and uh, Abram and Sarai? He comes home and he says, uh, Sarai, I had a conversation with God. She says, really? Yeah. What do you say? He says, well, we're supposed to get up and move. What? No, we're supposed to get up and move. Are you sure? Have you been dipping into some of the, the, the brew? And he said, no, we're supposed to move. Okay, all right, so we'll move. Where are we going? He hasn't said yet. What? If Abraham had not obeyed, and the, the plan may not have made sense. For Joshua, the plan doesn't make sense to take uh, three million people into a hostile territory. But the expectation is to obey, and good things happen when we obey. But it's easy to just set God's word aside as kind of an accessory, as something, as a good luck charm, to have either in hard copy or on your mobile device. It, whatever, it's like, yeah, I've got God's word. And, you know, in the old days, people used to have their family Bible out on the, uh, on the table, and it may be filled with dust, but hey, there's our Bible. Uh, Debbie and I watch a show, and I won't say the name of it in case you like it. And we like it. It's, it's kind of a silly show. Uh, but in, it's a guilty pleasure. But what's interesting about this show is that it's centered on a southern town, and church is kind of uh, central to, to southern communities. And so there is, throughout the show, there are these, uh, these insertions of Scripture that are, you know, the warm, fuzzy things like love and be kind and be generous but main characters are seen having illicit relationships and commands that are strictly forbidden by God are like ignored. It's like, okay, we're going to pick and choose out of God's word. That makes sense. That's pleasing. That's satisfactory. This, I don't know. I'm not sure that that's going to be acceptable. But if we're going to survive the terrors, the obstacles, the enemies that are facing us on the horizon, it requires obedience. But the second thing is the aspect of knowing it, being immersed in God's word. He, God told Joshua here that there's supposed to be this being in the word, meditating on it throughout the course of the day. It wasn't just something that they were supposed to do one hour a week on the Sabbath. I show up for church on Sunday mornings, be an extra spiritual, go to Sunday school, but of course you'd be at church, and I've gotten my weekly dose of God's Word. 
that notion is foreign to the Bible. The, the reality is that God gave his word as a means of revealing himself and guiding us through all of the situations that we face. I'm reading a book, the, uh, the boys, I, we have uh, two sons, and, and they gave me four books as a series. Uh, Marilyn Robinson, I think is the name, but the, is the author's name, uh, Gilead. And uh, it's won all kinds of awards. But Gilead is the town where John Ames, who is a, uh, an aging pastor, lives. And he's writing his memoirs and his thoughts on life. And he shares some heritage, but he also shares some philosophy. But it's written for his son, his young son. And it is a book that he's writing down what he wants his son, his six-year-old son, uh, to know about him, about his family, and about life. Magnify that sentiment a billion times, and you may come close to the, the nature of the Bible. It is God's word for his people. A loving father has put down everything that he wants his children to know about life, about relationships, about managing stressful situations, about choices. This is a father's love letter, if you will, to his children. And it only makes sense to be in it, to know it, to devour it. Some old people uh, like me may remember love letters. Uh, in, in elementary school, it says, I love you, do you love me? Check the box, yes or no. Some of the younger people say, what? But believe me, we used to do that kind of thing. Now it's all texting and, and, and emails, but... If you got a love letter from somebody that you really, really were hung up on, you didn't wad it up and throw it away. You stuck it in your pocket and you took it out and you looked at it every five minutes. Oh, she, she said that. Oh, I can't believe. Because of that love, you wanted to review, to saturate yourself in that communication. How much more should we be in God's word? The, the whole notion started in Deuteronomy 6 where we have the passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And right after it says, these words that I give you shall be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit down, when you stand up and walk around, when you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning. Wear them on your foreheads. Put them on your doorposts. Immerse yourself in God's word. In Psalm 119, uh, several, I mean, the whole Psalm 119 is about the, the value, the precious nature of God's word. But it's, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You want to know what direction to take? Be in God's word. Later on, it says, your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against God. In Proverbs, uh, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The acknowledging him requires being in his word. And so much. Jesus said, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can ask anything. That abiding in God's word is essential for effective prayer life. Later on in John 17, he says, in his prayer, he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. God's word is essential for sanctifying, 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, rebuke, and correction, that the man of God would be complete, lacking in nothing. The full development of God's people is directly linked to that ongoing exposure to God's Word. A few weeks ago, our younger son and his wife, who live in uh, Washington Heights in Manhattan, uh, they were going to celebrate their uh, 10th anniversary, and they wanted to have a staycation. So uh, they arranged to bring uh, our three grandchildren, two seven-year-old twin girls and a five-year-old uh, brother who is a powerhouse in and of himself. And so they came up to, to stay with us for a few days. And some dear friends of ours who live next community over in Bethel, they have a, uh, a swimming pool. And it's, uh, it has been made available to us. One of the, I'm from Florida. One of the things that I've noticed about swimming pools in Connecticut, water's kind of cold. <laughs> it's not like Florida. I mean, in Florida, you jump in the pool, it's going to be 90 degrees. Not so here. But these kids, they're in the water, and they're shivering, but they're playing, and they're having a great time. And we're Grammy and Grubba. Grubba is short for Grandpa Bubba. And Bubba, yes, is my family name. So I'm Grubba. And so they want to grubba to get into the pool. And I put my toe in there, and that's cold water. But I realized if I'm going to have the connection with them that I want to have, if I'm, if I'm going to have that kind of memory for them, if I'm going to fully engage their experience, I need to get in the water. So I did something I have not done in five years. I took off my shirt. And I went over to the edge of the pool, and I dove into the deep end. And it was cold. But I tell you, it was worth it. Because I came up and splashing, and they were trying to squirt me with their super soakers, and and we just had the grandest time. It strikes me that sometimes, as God's children, we want to just put our toes in the edge of the water of God's word but that's not going to engage us in the full relationship with God. To fully experience all that God has for his children, it requires, even if it's a sudden shock or it's, it takes some effort, diving in and being immersed in God's word. So when you're facing terrors, remember, God has a plan. He's going to work out that plan, and it's good, but also be in God's word. Obey it and know it. And finally, because of God's presence. And this is where he says, do not be afraid or do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. Now, Debbie knows that I could preach an entire sermon on that phrase. In fact, I could preach two sermons on that phrase and have done so in the last year. And so I will summarize it here briefly. That concept of God being with his people is a constant theme throughout Scripture. And if you, uh, you can take a picture of this, uh, we'll leave this up uh, for quite some time. But the first time it's stated is in God's conversation, conversation with Isaac. And there was some hesitance about Isaac moving into the new land, and God said, do not be afraid, I will be with you. When Jacob is fleeing for his life from Esau, he lays down at what is now called Bethel, Bait uh, El, which is the house of God. And that's where he saw the famous Jacob's ladder. But at the end of that phrase, God says, Do not, don't worry, I will be with you. 
Moses, when he encountered God in the burning bush, God said, I want you to go and deliver my people out of the hand of Pharaoh. And Moses said, not me. You got the wrong guy. And he said, I will be with you. Later, after Joshua, Gideon is in a horrible situation. He's, he is threshing wheat in a wine press, which you don't do. He comes up and he sees the angel of the Lord. And the first statement is, God is with you. And he says, wait, how can that be? And the angel of the Lord says, I want you to deliver the people of Israel from the hands of the Moabites and Ammonites. And he said, I can't do it. I'm the least of all my brothers. And he says, I will be with you. Jehoshaphat, he's being uh, faced by a a potential attack, uh, imminent attack by the Moabites and and Ammonites. And he comes to God and says, what are we going to do? And through the prophet, God says, don't worry, I will be with you. Ahaz, when Isaiah uh, goes, Ahaz is facing an incredibly difficult situation. And uh, Isaiah says, I'll give you a sign. He says, I don't need a sign. He says, I'll give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a child, and he shall be called Emmanuel. And we know what the translation of that is. In the face of Ahaz's fears and terrors, The reality is this promise, God is with you. And then seven centuries later with Joseph, he's facing an incredibly difficult situation. The nation is facing an incredible difficult situation. And the angel appears and gives him the message about the birth of the son that Mary's pregnant with. And some translations say that this is added later, but some commentators believe that the phrase that follows This is to fulfill the prophecy that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, in parentheses, which means God with us. That reality of God with us has been constant from throughout the scripture. And Jesus himself, when he said, uh, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And behold, you're off on your own, and I'll check in with you from time to time. Behold, I care for you, and I'm wishing you the very best as you go about this this great commission. Behold, I am with you. The promise of God to be with his children overcomes any and every potential obstacle we could face. And in Revelation 21.3, and you can look it up later, there is a restatement of what was given to the nation of Israel, but it's in this new heavens and new earth, the reality is that this God will dwell here and he will dwell with his people. God's eternal plan has been to be with his people. And if the Heavenly Father is with you, you don't have to fear those potential enemies and obstacles. Here is a statement that you can put in the bank. This is a money-back guarantee, and if you find fault with it, come back, and I'll give you your offering back this morning. No, I won't. You will never face an obstacle that is bigger than God's power 
or his ability to overcome it. I'll close with this remembrance. Uh, when I was five, six years old, we lived in a small community south of Covington, uh, Kentucky, uh, which is across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, there was a theme park along the river there that was called, of all things, Coney Island. And last time I checked, it's still there. It's kind of old and decrepit, kind of like the one in New York. Uh, but that's the first time I'd ever gone, and that's the first roller coaster I'd ever gone to, and the first time we'd seen all the things that go with that kind of arrangement. But it's also the first time I ever wrote, uh, uh, rode on a, a haunted house theme. You know, it was the House of Terrors, something like that. And so uh, we all wanted to go on it. I'm five years old. My other, uh, older brother's seven years old, and then it's three and, and one. Um, but I'm sitting in the car, and it's one of these swervel. You young people have no idea what we had to endure as, as uh, youngsters back then, but it was this car that kind of swerved around and would come up, and things would jump up and pop up and try and scare you. But I was sitting beside my dad. Now, you need to understand something about my dad. He was not just any man. Uh, at 17, he convinced his mother to sign for him to join the Marine Corps, and he joined the Marines and fought in uh, World War II in the South Pacific. Not only that, he was part of the original uh, re, uh, Marine Raiders. And for those of you who know Marine history, he was one of the first Raiders on the top of Mount Suribachi for the raising of the flag. Uh, he was a special ops Marine before they were called special ops. Uh, he was almost six foot tall. Uh, after he got out of the war, he became a professional boxer, and he boxed at a weight about uh, 210, 220 pounds. And his trainer was the same trainer as Rocky Marciano's, for those of you who care about such things. And he went 17 straight bouts, uh, victories, and lost his 18th and, and quit. Uh, when I was born, he was a police officer in Deland. He was a man's man. And if I ever said, my dad could beat up your dad, it was true. Uh, he could. He was a towering figure. And I don't mean that by an exaggeration, by any exaggeration. He was huge. He was big. He was strong. And he became a pastor. And he was a unique pastor, uh, I must say. But when we were with him, we had nothing to worry about. And so as we're going through that thrill ride, a skeleton would pop up in your face, and I'd look over at my dad, and he laughed at it. And everything that came up that was supposed to scare, my dad was laughing. He was having a great time. So I figured, if my daddy is laughing at these horrors, I'm going to be okay. Because he was right beside me. My precious brothers and sisters, there is not a single situation you can face that may seem terrifying to you, but is anything more than something for our Heavenly Father to laugh at. On the cross, Christ demolished the stronghold of the enemy. And there are things that happen from time to time that emanate from all of that. But the reality is our Heavenly Father 
can handle anything that comes our way. So when you're facing the prospect of fear, a terror that threatens to overcome you, a situation where you know you've got to deal with it, but you don't want to, remember the reality of God's provision being strong and courageous. Because he's got a plan. He's going to work through this plan in ways that you probably could never have imagined. He's given the word for us to obey and immerse ourselves in. And he's given the promise that he's going to be there with us. And that combination of those three realities can and will get us all through every situation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the reality of who you are. You realize, you recognize fully how weak we are. But thank you for your strength. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. Help us to embrace that and allow you to accomplish your victories in all of these situations. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.